Hello everyone and welcome or welcome back to Scottish and Scared. I'm Stephanie and I will be telling you some strange and unusual tales from the place I call home, Scotland. Before we get into it, I would like to ask everyone listening to send in their strange or unusual experiences. They do not have to have taken place in Scotland or even relate to it. If you have any requests for future episodes or you just fancy a wee gab, then please do not hesitate to get in touch. You can send us an email at scottishandscared at gmail.com and you can also follow us on Instagram at scottishandscaredpod. Lastly, if you wouldn't mind, please rate, review and share the show wherever you may be listening. It really helps us out a bunch and a massive thank you to everyone who already has. Now, let's get into it. Hello everyone, I hope you all had a fantastic weekend. It is Monday, this episode was supposed to go up last night, but my sister is a wee bit under the weather, so I have been on babysitting duty and as you can imagine, babies and podcasts, they don't mix. But yes, it is going up today, Monday. The weather isn't great here, once again, but spring is finally here, so that means that the sunshine shouldn't be too far behind it. Fingers crossed, we can get out there into the beer gardens once again. My weekend was, um, for the most part, uneventful, except for Saturday, where I attended my best friend's wedding. It was a very small personal event, you know, those weddings where it's just a bunch of people. Uh, I did have a plus one, but she cancelled because she had to go into work on Saturday, so I attended on my own. And I actually only knew the groom, who is my best friend, and his brother. So as you can imagine, it was pretty fun. If you've ever shown up to a wedding and you're single, in your mid-twenties, and you have no children, you will know that every single person there feels the need to ask why. Which, if you're one of those people, just don't do that, please. We are all very aware that it is very odd these days to be in that position, so you don't have to keep asking. Anywho, I am one of those people who children kind of gravitate towards, not in an odd way or a weird way, but I think it's because I'm like pretty much will do anything like they ask me to. I have absolutely no issue with making an absolute tool of myself, so I think that's what it is. And I sat at the kids' table for most of the night just to avoid the awkward conversation, the weird men trying to fire in, just the whole thing. And so I spent most of my night playing hide and seek around the venue. So that was absolutely amazing, made it all better, fantastic. And as you can imagine on Sunday, I was pretty tired, hungover, and feeling a wee bit sorry for myself. And then I got a message from the lovely Lynn, who runs history and horror tours with her husband Gary. She was kind enough to ask me if I would like to be a guest on one of their tours, to which I swiftly accepted, of course. They are a tour company operating here in Scotland who focus on the darker side of Scottish history as well as lore and ghost stories. So this was right up my alley. They currently run two types of tours which are walking and location tours. I will be attending the location tour of the haunted Bannockburn House in Stirling on the 28th of April and I will be doing an episode on this the same week. If this is something that you're interested in, I would definitely check these guys out. I'll put their website in the episode description. And if you can't attend a tour, please go follow them on Instagram. I'll also put that in the description. If you're free on the 28th by any chance and would like to come on the tour that I will be attending, it starts at 8pm and the prices are very, very reasonable for the standard of tour that it is and the amount of information that you're given, in my opinion. So please go check them out. I am so beyond excited this is the first time that I've ever done like a ghost tour I've been meaning to do one in Edinburgh for so long but Covid kind of stuck up in that 
so I'm super 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 excited and I would be even more excited if I got to meet some of you guys so if that's something that you're interested in please go and check them out one more thing that I have to ask from you lovely people and then I promise I will get back to some Scottish themed topics and into the meat and bones of this episode about a week ago I posted to my story on Instagram asking you lovely people to go support a friend of mine's band but I am aware that a lot of you don't have Instagram um, I've got a lot of emails from you to let me know so I'm going to talk about it on here instead I know we're coming to the end of the whole Covid thing you know there's no mass mandates here everything is kind of going back to normal but a lot of people businesses, bands, creators artists, all kinds of different people obviously found it very difficult to get out there and do what they do best in that time period, the band being one of them I would just like to ask all of you to go check out my friend's band they are called Crashes C-R-A-S-H-E-S. I understand that everyone has their own taste in music, so if they're not your cup of tea, then that is absolutely fine. But if they are, could you please support them in any way that you possibly can? It would be massively appreciated. They also have a YouTube channel, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Their Instagram handle is just Crashes UK, and you can find their link tree from there. And back to Scottish-themed topics. So another thing that happened last week was that we actually managed to trace our family line and our name all the way back and back 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 and i am very pleased and shocked to say that i am scottish born and bred the reason that i'm shocked to say that is because we have always been told that our name was either american or that we were a branch of of the mcintyres because if you don't know my name or my surname is tyre t-y-r-e not mcintyre just tyre but we actually didn't. Our name is actually a lot older than McIntyre and our story is very, very interesting and very, very old. So if that's something that you would be interested in hearing about, please let me know. I will be discussing it briefly in relation to another topic that is coming up. My name dates back like a long, long time ago. I've never actually met someone with my surname who wasn't either related to me or like a distant cousin and I've also never met someone else who knows someone with my surname who isn't related to me so I'd be interested to know if any of you people know someone with my surname because they could be related to me but yes now that all of that is over and done with why don't we just jump into what you're really here to listen to more terrifying creatures to repel you from walking alone in the Scottish wilderness That is right people, today we are going to be talking about more creatures from Scottish mythology. And we seem to have a few water themed ones today, but considering that Scotland is surrounded by the ocean, I don't think that that comes to as any surprise to anyone. And one last note, I have thalassophobia. I hate the ocean. I don't mind being in the ocean, but I don't like the ocean. I don't like books about the ocean, I don't like pictures of the ocean, I don't like documentaries about sharks I just don't I don't like it I don't even like being on boats so whenever I hear whenever I look into some of these things and I get really into it I am yeah it just it just solidifies the fear that I have of the ocean the first of our water dwelling beasts is the stoorworm which to me when I first heard it kind of sounded like something that you would suck up a hoover am I right a stoorworm kind of sounds like dust but no, I am not even close with that one. The stoor part of this creature's name comes from the old Norse name for Jormungandr. If you're not familiar with Norse mythology, he was the son of Loki and he was known as the World Serpent or the Midgard Serpent. You will understand in a minute why these two are sometimes compared. 
The one part of his name was just a word that was commonly used to describe serpents and sometimes dragons in Scottish folktales. The creature itself can be found in Arcadian folklore, which is a type of folklore that specifically covers the Orkney Islands and it is very, very old. In these tales, the serpent is described as being the worst of nine fearful curses that plague mankind. So, I mean, come on, that is a pretty intimidating title. In appearance, he is an enormous sea serpent who is sometimes described as a dragon, but I don't really think it fits the category of a dragon, so I'm just going to continue to call it a serpent. Its eyes are described in several different ways, such as glowing like a flame or looking like deep, dark locks. And there's even one account saying that he only had one eye. So you can take your pick, guys. Its head was the size of a large mountain. Its body has never been fully seen, as it ran for miles and miles under the sea, which actually sickens me to my stomach, okay? Apart from the obvious terrifying size, it was so feared because it didn't just attack or cause havoc by eating ships. It also dragged entire villages and hillsides into the sea using its forked tongue. And if that's not bad enough, its breath was said to be so bad it would contaminate plants, destroy livestock as well as humans. So we do have a bit of an oral hygiene issue going on here as well, which is, you know, also terrifying. While it was submerged, people suspected it was the cause of swells and waves at sea, as well as causing earthquakes when it yawned. So that should put in perspective how big this creature was said to be. It yawned and it caused an earthquake. One story tells of a king who was so fed up with this creature that he decided to give it a weekly sacrifice in the form of seven virgins on the advice of a spearman. A spearman is just kind of like a wise person. Um, sometimes they're like mystical, they can be magical, sometimes they can practice witchcraft. So every Saturday morning, these seven poor women were taken from their homes and tied up on the beach for this serpent to come and enjoy. As you can probably imagine, virgins are not exactly the best sacrifice of choice because eventually you're going to run out of virgins. This has always puzzled me. Because why do people just not lie and say, no, sorry, not me, not a virgin, not me. Like, how do they know these people are virgins? Anywho, that is exactly what happened. The virgins slowly started to run out and the king returned to the spearman to find an alternative. And the spearman told him that he would have to sacrifice his only daughter to the serpent to repel him for good. The king, obviously distraught, played along with this, but he did put a 10-week grace period, and at the end of which he would give up his daughter. But in that time, he had sent out messengers to the entire country looking for someone to slay the serpent. He offered his kingdom, the hand of his daughter, and a magic sword as a reward. Many people of all ages and backgrounds came forward to take up the offer, but only one of them actually had the courage to actually face the beast, and his name was Asapato. I have said that 100% wrong, but I'm sorry, I could not find any videos or anything like that online to tell me how to pronounce that, so I am pronouncing it Asapato. Okay, moving on. And he was the youngest son of a local farmer. He wasn't particularly liked by his family or his peers, so he just kind of guessed, you know, he has nothing to lose, he's just going to go for it. He stole a boat along with some hot peat and set off into the water towards the sleeping beast, and as he got closer and closer... It began to wake and let out a mighty yawn, which sucked the boat entirely into its mouth and down into its stomach. Now, when I read this, I just envisioned somebody standing on the beach watching this happen. 
and being like, yeah, yeah, he's going to get it. Asapato's going to kill this beast. And then the beast just opening its mouth and yawning and literally just sucking the boat in and then that that's it, done. And the person on the beach just being like, oh, that's okay, okay. And I just thought that was so hilariously funny. Um, yeah, you probably don't, but I just thought that was hilarious. But while he was inside the creature, Asapato, who still had the warm peat, launched it onto the creature's liver, which set it on fire. Due to the immense pain of the fire burning inside it, the creature began to retch and cough, and this managed to take the boat from the creature's stomach all the way back up through its throat and out through its mouth onto the water again, nice and safe. From the shore, the villagers could see the creature writhing and thrashing around in agony, and they all kind of stopped to have a wee bit of a nosy, thinking that obviously Asapato had been taken into this creature and completely consumed. Um, so they were kind of like, hmm, I wonder what's going on there. But then they spotted Asapato, who managed to row all the way back to shore, and he eventually just joined them in watching this creature writhe around in agony and just waiting for it to die. But before it died, it opened its mouth, and black smoke began to come out from the fire within and turned the entire sky black, which made all the people on the beach think that the world was about to end. So they all ran away back to stand at a distance thinking, Jesus Christ, that's it, it's done. It's over and done with. And then the creature eventually died. And when it fell into the water, its teeth fell out of its mouth, and its teeth are said to be what we now know as the islands of Orkney, Shetland and the Faroe Islands. Its tongue is said to be where the Baltic Sea was created and its body is what we now know as Iceland. Once everything kind of settled down went back to normal, Asapato did indeed marry the princess, take over the kingdom and become the owner of the magical sword. And I bet you his family really wanted to be his pal after that, eh? I think that this story is one of the best ones that I've heard so far. The fact that this creature was so big that parts of its dying body created new lands and its teeth created islands, that is such a good story. Like imagine being a wee Wayne and hearing that story around a campfire or on a dark night or a sleepover. I think that, I just think it would be absolutely amazing. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, storytelling is something that I, I used to absolutely love as a kid and obviously still do. My dad and my, my uncle, they would tell us stories almost every single night about all different things. And my uncle actually still does. And I don't know if he thinks that I believe him because I know right away that he's telling me a story, but he enjoys it. I enjoy listening to it. And it's really something that I would like to carry on with my own children whenever I'm blessed with their presence. But it's just something that I don't think a lot of people do anymore is tell stories to their kids. It's more like iPads and all that kind of stuff. So moving on, we have another water dwelling creature known as the Marul. Again, I don't know if that's correct pronunciation, but I will be calling it the Marul. Now, there's not a great deal of information on this one, but I will tell you as much as I possibly can. This wee nasty story comes once again from the Shetland Islands and it was also known as the Sea Wolf. So we can all imagine how menacing this thing was. It's commonly described as a malevolent marine devil. So yeah, not very nice. In appearance, it takes the form of a large fish that looks kind of similar to a monkfish or an anglerfish. You know those fish with the like wee light that comes down off their head? It kind of looks like one of them. But it does have eyes all over its head. And the more older and mature marils, they had a crest of flame on their backs. Not entirely sure how that flame was kept alight in the ocean, but you know, we move. 
Now, the most disturbing thing that I read about these creatures is that they're mostly seen during violent storms at sea and they can be heard laughing and singing joyfully as boats and ships capsized and people drowned in the sea around them. Just imagine that. Just just, just imagine falling off a boat into the sea and hearing maniacal laughing and singing around you. So if you're ever in doubt about going on a cruise or a ferry, just remember this story and then make your decision. You know what this gives me? You know what vibes this gives me? You know when you're on holiday and you're on the beach and you think, ah, I'm going to go into the ocean, have a nice wee dip, cool down, and you go in and you get deeper and deeper and you're having a great time and you're just floating out there with friends and you're all talking and it's great and it's fantastic and then you become suddenly aware that you're in the ocean and that you are unable to see anything that is underneath you. You know that panic that comes over you when you, you realise that? And then you start to hear the Jaws music, and then you start panicking, and you think, Jesus Christ, I have to get back to shore. The next time I am on holiday and I'm in the ocean, these creatures are what I am going to think about. I am going to think that these evil fish and sea serpents are just wriggling around underneath me, ready to strike. Now, the last beastie that I have to tell you about today is not a sea dweller, but a land dweller, as though that makes it any less terrifying. This creature is known as the Badia, which is Gaelic for various different things such as serpent, lightning and thunderbolt, among others. It's also been associated with the Norse word for bear, but that is not confirmed. There's a lot, there's a theme of Norse things going on here as well, have you noticed that? The Badia has been described as the most deadly kind of serpent. It's also sometimes described as a dragon, but again, I don't really feel like it fits the description of a dragon. To me so i'm just going to continue to call it a serpent in terms of appearance most of the illustrations i could find show a large serpent-like body with four legs and the head of a snake kind of like a viper or a cobra like that kind of type of snake and this creature likes to hide out in mountains mostly in caves and valleys but it's usually only sighted during thunderstorms which is why it has ties to lightning the beast has an extremely venomous sting and if you happen to be stung there are one of two ways that you can survive the first being that you have to find the closest body of water, be it a river or a lock, but you must reach it before the badir. So it's kind of like a it's kind of like a race, and if you don't, you will succumb to the venom and die painfully, of course. The second way to survive is to reach a body of water where the head of another snake has been placed, which I must admit must be pretty hard to find unless there are road signs giving you directions. I mean, how the hell are you meant to find that? Like how? They're not sure where or how this creature was formed or born, but some tell stories that if a normal snake were to be killed, the head must be removed from the body completely and destroyed or taken a massive distance away from the body because if it didn't, the pieces would magically make their way back to each other and when they came back together, they would transform into a badir. So they think this may be where this creature comes from. In 1890, Scottish author and scholar John Francis Campbell retold a story in where an evil stepmother was the wife of an Irish king, gifted her stepson a magical shirt that was a bedeer in disguise, and when he put it on, it wrapped around his neck and put him in a trance-like state where the stepmother had full control of him. But this all came to an end when the stepson sought the help of a wise woman, or a witch, and she got rid of the bedeer for him. It's also been associated with another tale of a supernatural hag which who was killed and chopped into a load of different pieces but eventually all the pieces made their way back made their way back to one another and the hag was brought back to life. 
So it's speculated that the serpent could be one of the many forms that this resurrected hag takes and that it's not actually its own separate entity, it's just one of the forms that this entity takes. And one last thing that I read about the Badir was that I thought was quite interesting was that there was this random sighting in 1975, which wasn't that long ago, by a group of fishermen. They were just out on the loch fishing near Kilmarnock thinking, oh great, we're having a great time. And one of them happened to see a 9 to 10 feet long coiled creature in a valley near the loch. He told his friends and when they all kind of started kicking up a fuss and looked over, the creature saw the fisherman and became extremely flustered and ran off towards Beaufort Castle. So could this creature actually be out there in the Scottish wilderness? Who knows? It could be. It could not be. Who knows? Now I did have a fourth creature to talk about on the show and then I realised that I had actually already spoken about it so I had to take it out. So this episode is on a wee bit of the shorter side but to make up for that I will be doing another episode on Friday. I promise you I will. I'm recording it right after this one. And with that we have come to an end of today's tales and creatures. Just think for a minute, if these creatures were alive and kicking out there in this country it would be absolutely terrifying. Nobody would be going hikes, nobody would be out there exploring. We would all be in our homes with guns, terrified to go outside. Or maybe some of them are actually out there somewhere and we just haven't seen them yet. If any of you have ever seen anything like this, um, if you're Scottish or you're not or you're somewhere else in the world, please let me know. I love hearing other people's stories, like I said earlier, and I also love telling stories about absolutely anything that doesn't have to be about this type of stuff. I'm like the person in my family who everyone just likes to sit and listen to. I have a way with words, apparently, and I'm very physical when I talk. I use my hands a lot. I've been asked quite a lot if I'm Italian, which I think is a stereotype, so um, no, I'm not Italian. But yes, that is all I have for you today. Uh, If you have any interest in the tour, please go check it out. It would be nice to meet some of you if you are able to attend the tour that I will be a guest on. It's on the 28th of April at 8pm and it is the Bannockburn House Tour. You can see all of the dates, all of the different locations, everything you need to know on their website. If you could also check out my friend's band, that would be absolutely awesome. I hope that you all have a fantastic week. I will see you all on Friday. Stay weird, stay scared. Bye. (laughs) 